The show is brought to you by our generous patrons at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. Robots Radio presents the Fallout Lorecast. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast, a place for the Fallout community to come together to explore the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. there vault dwellers and wastelanders welcome back to this episode of the fallout Lorecast. now after a few weeks of some longer form episodes and interviews with other people and those kinds of things we are finally back for the first time in 2020 to a uh, more or less regular episode of the fallout Lorecast. this week we are tackling two different vaults We are up in the 100s, and if you've been keeping track, that means that we are up to Vault 106. So let's start there. Now, both of these vaults are from Fallout 3, which means they're in the Capital Wasteland area. And both of them have relatively short and tragic stories. Vault 106 was finished... In just five years, construction began in March of 2064 and finished in December of 2069. And Vault 106 was designed to hold a total of 107 inhabitants, so a relatively smaller vault, with 95 being test subjects and 12 researchers. And this vault was originally designed to have a duration of only... 12 years and three months. So this vault would have been one of the earliest to open should things have gone correctly. But of course, well, not necessarily of course, there are some vaults that go to plan more or less, but this vault, things kind of fell apart relatively quickly. So one of the most interesting things I find about this vault is that the overseer is also the head of Vault-Tec's psychological research department, Dr. Albert Laris. It's not every day that you end up with an actual Vault-Tec head of something being the overseer of a vault. And there isn't a ton of information as to why exactly this was, other than what we can gather from the experiments that was taking place in Vault 106. You see... This vault was basically an experiment with what would happen if you were to pump psychoactive drugs into the circulation system of the vault 10 days after the doors were shut. And this seems like a very strange experiment. I mean, for the most part, like, what would you expect to happen? (laughs) This is a sealed environment with 107 people. So I'm just going to read here from the fallout.gamepedia.com article on this. It says here that the reason was simple. The experiment involved pumping psychoactive drugs into the circulation system 10 days after the vault was sealed. When the door sealed, preparations for the release were undertaken. Control sequence 46-2A, as it was referred to, required preparation from the entire vault security and medical staff. 
Once the preparations were completed, now it doesn't say what specifically the preparations were, but I'm guessing they were locking things down and the medical staff was being prepared to handle any anomalous reactions to the drug that was going about to go out for everyone to consume through simply breathing, I I guess. Uh, (laughs) It says here, once the preparations were completed, the drug was released into the circulation system at 1530 hours. So 3.30 p.m. When the emission concluded at 1600 hours, so 4 p.m., this is only 30 minutes of it being circulated through the air, residents were not notified of the release. With any strange effects being dismissed as the result of an irregularity in the filtration system. Now, this, of course, has disastrous effects. And it says here that while many dwellers succumbed to a relaxed hallucinogenic state, some began to behave bizarrely and even aggressively. The security chief tried to contain the situation and advised anyone not affected by the gas to take shelter. So that's also interesting here is that you have basically three groups of people. You have people who are not affected by the gas, who don't seem to have any significant response. Then you have people who are relatively cool with it, I guess you could say. Uh, You've got the hippie population that's all just kind of relaxed and kind of go into the hallucinogenic state of it all. And then you have the people who are not able to handle it and they become extremely aggressive and have very bizarre behavior. Now, it finishes up here and says, ultimately, the security team failed to contain the situation and the vault perished under the pressure of drug-addled, psychotic victims of the experiment. And then for two centuries, unwary travelers and scavengers entered the vaults, and this is also odd, only to succumb to the effects of the drugs and wander the halls of the ruined bunker, convinced they are the original dwellers. This drug remained active in the air of the vault for 200 years. That seems crazy, but I guess it was sealed up and maybe was potent enough to stay effective. Seems a little bit far-fetched, but it leads to a really interesting story. Also, in this vault, there's there's a survivor that you come across, and she, I believe it's a she, I mean, it looks like a female model, um, they believe that they were one of the original inhabitants, but they're clearly not old enough and they're not a ghoul. So this leads to the understanding that they must have stumbled into the vault and believe themselves to be one of the original inhabitants and have been driven mad by this chemical that's in the air. And and that's about all we know. Now, what I also find interesting about this story are the notes that are left behind Uh, in the vault itself. There's some scribbles and some things in journal entries and and things like that. So so let's go over some of those. So there's one that's a torn out journal entry that you can find under a stack of ruined books. And it says here, uh, and this is the note in the journal entry itself, for some reason today the air is different. I can't quite place it, but the air tastes a little blue, I guess. As weird as that sounds, the air tastes blue. Blue like my suit. That kind of rhymes. Weird. 
Weird beard. <laughs> I always wanted to be a beatnik, but the pants were too tight. So you've got this weird reference to like beatnik lifestyle, um, <laughs> druggies, the weird rhymes, those kinds of things. And then this continues. Also, what continues in some of the other posts is this idea of the air being blue. So another note on a scribbled piece of paper says, scribbledy, bibbledy, hoodly hoo, wing wang bricks, bang choo choo choo, upside up, popsicle tastes like blue, <laughs> upside up, uh, ghosts in the hall go boo, boo, boo. It sounds like a children's rhyme, but uh, again, this idea of the color blue and these, these rhymes that rhyme with blue. So another uh, paper note found um, has a little bit more actually to it than some of these that we've read so far. This one says, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, everyone just started acting strange. The overseer told us to lock ourselves into our room and wait until security got the riffraff under control. So that's what I'm doing. I managed to catch the security chief on the way past, and apparently the weirdos are so out of their head, they can't read. So if you're not affected, say the word fanzini, and I'll let you in. Now, I did a little bit of Googling around to see what this fanzini might re be a reference for, and sometimes things that come up in these games, like beatnik culture, are callbacks to mid-20th century types of stuff. Not sure exactly what fanzini is a reference to here. A fanzine is a, a booklet. It's like a, a small magazine put out by people who are fans of a specific type of genre of stuff. Um, fanzini is also a last name. There's a contemporary circus group called fanzini, but nothing I can find that specifically points to the 1940s, 50s, 60s, that kind of thing. So if you happen to know what that's a reference to, let me know, because I'm, I'm not sure exactly about that one, but there's probably a reason why that word was chosen here. There's one more that says, uh, it says, uh, here's the quote, oh man, I just had to get my thoughts on paper, man. Otherwise the cat in my head forgets, man. The sky is as blue as it used to be. I'm so happy to be here, and my roomies are flailing around in the love mist. I can't remember what I was doing before, but man, is it great here now. I never thought about it like this before, but the walls just need somebody to love too, man. So this is a more stylistically hippie kind of writing, talking about cats and uh, love and, and those kinds of things. So... This is the the mix that you get. Obviously, this points to the different reactions that people were having in the vaults based on their predisposition and how the drug was specifically affecting them. Other than this, we don't have any other clarity on what exactly this drug was or what even the point of this experiment was. Maybe the overseer thought that this was a way to calm the population and put them in a state of, who knows, love and general getting along with each other. And it turned out that it had a negative reaction with some and eventually destroyed the vault. I'm not really sure. Also, the, the experiment was only supposed to last about 12 years. So uh, the point of that being a short experiment, I, I, I'm not sure about that either. So uh, there's some holes in this one, but that's what we've got for now. 
All right, we'll take a quick little break and we'll be back with Vault 108. And you might remember what that one is because it's one of the most famous ones that people joke about all the time. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. All right, so everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to access hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash falloutlore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash falloutlore, expressvpn.com slash falloutlore to learn more. Hey friends, thanks again for tuning into the Fallout Lorecast. I am your host, Tom or Robots, as usual, and I'm sorry this episode might be coming out a little bit later than usual. I was on vacation for the last week, but uh, the beginning of my vacation happened to coincide with, well, this is the reason I took a vacation, with the events over in Las Vegas with ZeniMax Online Studios, and if you are familiar with them, you will know that they run Elder Scrolls Online, and there was a big announcement that Things are going back to Skyrim and there's all a whole bunch of cool new things going on with that game. So I headed over there because I also do the Elder Scrolls lore cast and I wanted to, you know, hobnob with some of the development team and other podcasters and streamers, content creators and a bunch of the fans. And it was a really, really cool event. So I got to do that. My wife went with me and then we decided to take the next few days as a sort of uh, extended weekend vacation. So we had a good time. We spent way too much on um, everything because <laughs> everything's very expensive over in Las Vegas and got to see the sights a little bit. I, I definitely um, was thinking about Fallout New Vegas while I was over there. And obviously the strip is way different today than it would have been back in the 1950s, which would have been the influence for Fallout New Vegas. Um, so th there isn't a whole lot of similarity in some of those locations, but I do know that some of the locations around the strip were actually, um, almost spot on for just some of the little smaller places uh, on the way into town. But of course I didn't get a chance to do a, like a tour or anything of that kind of stuff. Cause you have to know where to look. Um, but it was a lot of fun. So, uh, had a really good time with that. Um, Hopefully I'll be back to a regular schedule now that I'm back in town and you guys can expect regular updates. Also, that means that coming up, we've got the uh, patron only episode, the uh, <laughs> conversation that we're going to have with our patrons 
this, I guess it's going to be this coming week because this is the last weekend of the month. So I, I need to rally the troops. But we've been talking about what our thoughts are about a Fallout 5 and what that might be like. And it's not necessarily anywhere in sight. I know that Bethesda is finishing up Starfield and then they're on to uh, working through and finishing up the next mainline Elder Scrolls game. And chances are they won't be doing another Fallout like mainline Fallout story until after that. So we're probably almost, what, eight years away or something from the next mainline Fallout. But there are updates coming to Fallout 76, and the hope is that Wastelanders will be a significant and good addition to that game that keeps us in that world and learning more about characters and actually interacting with other human-type characters and NPCs and that kind of thing. So fingers crossed on that one. But um, all that's to say, if you want to get in on the patron episode, right now I believe we have like eight patrons, so we might have to split this into two halves of an episode. We'll figure it out. But if you want to get in with us, there's always more room. I'm always happy to to accommodate anybody who would love to join us and be part of the conversation. So check out patreon.com slash falloutlorecast for that as well. Also, the YouTube page, the Robots Radio YouTube page, and just search Robots Radio YouTube, it'll come right up, is exploding. I've created some content over the last few weeks as I've been able to focus more on doing this and that. And actually taking some of the content from these episodes and adding some extra content on there that aren't in the actual audio podcasts and adding visuals to some of the lore stuff I've been putting up. So go check that out. This uh, we've almost doubled the number of subscribers. We went from around a thousand subscribers on the channel based on some of the stuff I was previously doing to almost 2000 in uh, basically a week and a half. It's ridiculous. So go check that out. Uh, subscribe to the channel. Uh, up thumb like stuff what's called like it's not called up thumb i'm an idiot um <laughs> give everything an up thumb and um help me grow the channel i'd really appreciate that hello there old chap good to see another of general atomic's finest still eager to serve all right so i hinted at it vault 108 it's one of the most famous vaults, or at least it's one of the most famous vaults uh, to me, and my wife and I joke about this one all the time. Here, I'm just going to read this to you, and I think you guys will start to see or recall, if you don't already, which vault this is. And I'm just going to read through the, the Gamepedia wiki on this as well. So we've got Vault 108 began construction sometime in March of 2061. So it was one of the earlier vaults and saw partial completion sometime in December of 2069. So it took a little bit longer than Vault 106, but was completed about the same time uh, due to work stoppage. Designed for 475 occupants and a lifetime of 38 years, the shelter was powered by a General Atomics nuclear power unit with a steam whistle mini geothermal set providing backup. This is pretty standard. The previous vault had a similar setup, but um, the geothermal unit was actually the primary and the nuclear power unit was the backup. The armory was overstocked triple the amount of gear as part of the vault's overall experimental process. The premise of the vault's experiment was explained to study conflict for leadership and power in a given vault or similar setting. The vault overseer Brody Jones was known to have a genetic predisposition for a rare form of cancer that was expected to kill him within 40 months 
of the experiment's inception. Standard positions of authority in the vault went unassigned, and complete discretion was given to the overseer. So Brody Jones was in charge, expected to only live 40 months or so, and positions of authority were not assigned. So it leaves a a gaping hole in leadership, and I think that was the point. The main power supply was also scheduled to malfunction after 240 months. That's 20 years. And the vault was planned to be sealed for 38. So almost halfway through, just a little bit beyond halfway through the, the life expectancy of the vault. And the backup power supply was intentionally insufficient to meet the vault's needs. On top of all of this, the vault was given three times the normal armory stock and no entertainment recordings. So it's definitely being set up to be a disgruntled situation or at least a very stressful situation with way too much firepower and no uh, no release, I guess, no entertainment release at least. However, Doom to the Vault came from a different direction than the experiment was originally planned for. An extensive and overly ambitious cloning experiment was undertaken by the dwellers at their own discretion, which created a series of 54 clones, though imperfections in the process resulted in the copies eventually becoming insane and violent. When the observation rooms filled up, the scientists in charge decided to dispose of the clones, which promptly turned them on their own makers, wiping out most of the vault's non-clone population and forcing the survivors out into the wastes. The list of victims included Dr. Peterson, one of the first doctors to be injured by a violent clone. The clones were left to rot in the vault, with the sole exception of Gary 23, who was abducted by Defender Morrill for the outcast evacuation efforts at the Virtual Strategic Solutions Incorporated facility. This is the Gary Vault. Ah, Gary. Gary! Ah! <laughs> Gary! Now, if you recall, the only thing that the Garys would say was Gary, and they were very hostile towards anybody who wasn't a Gary. Uh, (laughs) This forever, I think, has changed my perception of the name Gary. (laughs) Anytime I hear that somebody's name is Gary, no offense if your name is Gary, but it triggers memories of this, and then uh, it's automatically silly to me. So... Um, I apologize <laughs> if you happen to be named Gary, it's not your fault. Uh, but the creators of this vault have forever changed my perception of that. Um, one of the most interesting things about this is that there is, uh, in the outcast outpost of Operation Anchorage, uh, a dead Gary, Gary 23, um, you can find him wearing a Vault 108 jumpsuit in the locked room across from a uh, protector McGraw. So I, I thought that's also interesting. I really like it when they include little bits of 
pieces of the game in places where you wouldn't expect them because it kind of stitches everything together. Now, a little bit more detail about this. His left arm has actually been cut off and there are medical tools uh, nearby. And it seems that the outcasts tried to remove his Pip-Boy uh, by removing his limb in order to use the military VR pod in order to gain access to the armory that opens once the situation is complete. Now, interestingly enough, the interrogation log itself is still in the files for the game, but was cut. Um, so technically, we shouldn't know exactly what happened to Gary, but you could look this up and you can access it through console commands. Gary? Listen, son. I know Murillo was rough on you. I'm sorry. I really am. Gary? And, and Gary? Right. You can drop the act now. I'm not here to hurt you. Gary? Look, just remove the pit bull and we can part ways. Gary! Gary! You know what? Fuck this. Hand me that saw. And turn off the recorder. And on that happy note, thus concludes our episode about vaults 106 and 108. You guys have a wonderful week and try not to uh, do any hallucinogenic drugs or uh, clone yourselves to the point where you just start saying only your name. I will talk to you guys next week and I'm looking forward to our Patreon episode. See you guys again soon. Later. Thanks for listening to the Fallout Lorecast. All sounds and music are owned by Bethesda Softworks, and no copyright infringement is intended. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please contact us at falloutlorecast at gmail.com or follow us and post some messages to us on Twitter at falloutlorecast. And if you'd like to support the show, tell a friend or check out the rewards you can get for becoming a patron at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. I really appreciate you listening and I'd love to hear from you soon.